HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by White Oak Pastures, a five-generation Georgia-based beef and poultry farm determined to conduct business in an honorable manner. For more information, visit whiteoakpastures.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network from Roberta's Pizzeria. We're in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Hello. Hey. Joined as usual with Nastasia the Hammer Lopez. We got Jack and we got Wyatt's here. Wyatt's over there in the engineering booth. How you, how you gentlefolk doing? Uh, I'm going to speak for both of us. We're great. <laughs> You're like, I'm not going to let uh, Wyatt talk, because what if he's not doing well? Then what? Then what? How about you, Stas? I'm okay. Yeah? Mm-hmm. You got good stuff going on? No. <laughs> Stas is like, the best I can hope for is to not have crap going on. Good stuff is like, you know, way too, way too far. Way too ambitious. So apparently tomorrow, Vice, the Vice, the, the, the network slash... Never heard of it. Never, never? Never heard of that? You've heard of Vice, the actual, you know... Like sin, right? Yeah, that I've heard of. And you've heard of the of the uh, Black Crow's song "Virtue and Vice," right? That I've heard of too. Yeah, well, they have this they have this network that's based on that on that principle, and uh, they have a show called The Munchies. And apparently, they're going to air the foie gras thing that uh, I worked on with them a number of months ago, based on the California ban on foie gras. But that's not what I want to talk about. Uh, what I want to talk about was I had to go do like some last minute voiceovers. Last week at their offices in Brooklyn, they're they're over in Williamsburg, uh, Jack. By the way, Greenpoint, I think. No, uh, no, I mean I think it's still Williamsburg. It's like uh, the border, Williams Point. Anyway, Williams Point. I, That's I, good. Yeah, I biked over there, and for the first time in like five years, my pant leg came untucked from my sock without me knowing, and it just ripped the bottom half of my pants off. It was awesome. I looked like. Uh, I don't know. I look like that guy I remember from the Grateful Dead concert. You probably looked like somebody who works at Vice. Well, there you go. Uh, they actually seem like very nice folks. But I was there in the in the voiceover booth, and I they had you know uh, Snoop Dogg's reincarnation, where he's now he's Snoop Lion, and he's like smokes a lot of pot in in, uh, in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. Anyways, so they had a big poster for that. I was like, oh, you guys did it? Like, yeah, Snoop Dogg did voiceovers in this room. I was like, what? Nice. I was doing some voiceovers in this, and I told them. I was like, the only reason that uh, we started Booker and Dax the Bar was in hopes of getting Snoop Dogg to come in and have some gin and juice, and we're unsuccessful, so maybe they're going to 
Maybe they're going to work on that. Yeah. You think? That'd, that'd be <laughs> that awesome. That was awesome. Right? That's good. Uh, uh, also, I have to show. I'm just being uh, a jerk, but Helen Hollyman runs Munchie. She's awesome. She used to have a show here called You Look Hungry. So, did you in fact look hungry at that time? Um, I didn't. Maybe she did. No, I guess I did. Yeah, I looked a little hungrier back then. A yeah. bit. <laughs> like now, it's just who cares anymore? Right. No longer hungry. Uh, got another uh, interesting story. Before. By the way, should you have questions, cooking uh, related or otherwise? Why don't you write the, uh, call them in to uh, 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128. What's the new Brooklyn uh, exchange, by the way? Does anyone know? No. It's not just 718 anymore, right? I think there's a 646. No, that's, but that's everywhere. That's, oh, other, there's a new Brooklyn? I don't, no, I'm asking because I have no idea. Like back in the day, right, you had your Manhattan, which was your 212. Which You're, is, I have a 212 cell phone, we, somehow. We know. We know. Fancy man. <laughs> and then you had 718 was everybody else. You know right. what I mean? And then, you know, 917 came, we had our cell phones, but now it's just, it's all over the freaking map. Even Jack, a Brooklyn resident, can get a 212 <laughs> on his cell phone. The hell's that all about? What a joke. Yeah. yeah. Numbers don't mean anything anymore, you know? It used to mean, like, you know, you could tell something about someone by, the, by their telephone number. Mm-hmm. Not anymore. Now it's wasted. So this morning, by the way, you, you were familiar with wasabi oil, Stas? No. Jack, wasabi oil? It's like real wasabi? Well, it's not re- No, that's the thing. It's like real wasabi in the way that truffle oil is real truffles. Right. It's not, you know. So what it, what it typically is is um, some form of neutral oil carrier with uh, mustard oil in it, the spicy stuff, not the unspicy stuff, and then a couple of other flavorings that are added to make it approximate wasabi, right? And even though it's not real, I love it. I think it's good stuff. But... But it's – were you there that time I had that like half hour or hour-long argument with Dave Chang about wasabi mashed potatoes? No. Yeah. Hey, whatever. I don't even get into it. But the uh, – he hates them. He thinks that you cannot make a good mashed potato with any flavoring of wasabi in it. Hmm. And I disagree. I think that a potato – I'm not saying that it's not like used or spent or that like, you know, I don't know, maybe Applebee's had it on their menu at some time or whatever – or I'm not saying it's not, like, ridiculously cross-cultural in some sort of way. But there's nothing wrong. Like, if you were to have – if someone – if you were having, like, mashed potatoes and somebody dropped a little wasabi in from the sushi that they were eating and you tasted it and they were really creamy mashed potatoes, you wouldn't be like, this sucks. Right. You know what I mean? Right. But I couldn't get that – couldn't get that through. You know another thing that's good? Miso – cream miso soup. Also good. Is it traditional? No. Does it taste good? Yeah. Yeah, it tastes good. Anyway, well, I'm not going to get into it. I happen to like wasabi oil for various applications, so I have some in my house. Now, wasabi oil is earth-shatteringly um, pungent in the way horseradish is, right, to your nose and your eyes, right? So Dax wakes up this morning, and he goes to the, the pantry, and kids, right, he's 10, he just turned 10, totally, they don't care where their body is, they knock stuff over, they're used to it, they're like, it's an accident! I'm like, it's... it's I mean, it is an accident in the fact that you didn't intend to do it, but on the other hand, it's not an accident in that you didn't arrange your life such that you wouldn't happen. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's what I try to tell him all the time. You know, it's like, so anyways, so he reaches in, grabs something, pulls out, knocks over the freaking bottle oh, of wasabi yes. oil. It does like a triple somersault, opens, no, and just... pours wasabi oil all over our, uh, our Roomba, our robotic vacuum system. Uh, all over the floor, all over Dax's hands. I'm like, oh, my God. Jen wakes up. She hears me saying, oh, my God, because it's like the worst thing that could ever happen. And then all of a sudden, Dax, 
I think he touched his face with his hands, and he starts going, "My eyes, my eyes!" And he's we're running around, we're like flushing him, and I literally in the pantry, which is closed, couldn't stay in there for longer than five seconds at a time while we were cleaning up all this wasabi oil. He's like, "Daddy, you should not have that stuff in the house." And I'm like, nah, you should not spill that stuff, Dex. Kind of true. What do you mean? What's that? It's a cooking Or like ingredient. up high or something, you know? What? Where they can't up high. Where they can't. Yeah, I guess. But, you know, he climbs on top of chairs and whatever. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, nightmare. I got uh, a caller. You got a caller? I do. All right, caller. Caller, you're on the air. Hi, can you hear me? Yeah, sure. So I have a question about immersion circulators and, and making stock slash broth. I I got a uh, one of the uh, the Sanfair sticks for for Christmas and I've been fooling around with it and I was wondering if there's any 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 reason that you would want to cook in water to make a perfectly cooked meat and make the broth that extracts the liquid. I don't know if you know if, if this is going to make a less flavored broth than you would if you just you know, cook it at higher temperatures. But I sort of like the idea of you know, of having the meat usable and having the broth flavored. And I guess. In the end, I would like to see if there's any way to make a per- uh, like a bolito miso perfectly cooked with all the meats together. But that's sort of the long term right. game. Right. I kind of understand what you mean. Here, here, here are the issues. Right. So when you're doing a, a low temp work with uh, a stock, you're never going to get the kind of uh, gelatin extraction that you would get because um, the temperatures aren't. So it's going to take you know f- forever and, and whatnot. But you are on to something, um, and I, I use this kind of technique a, a lot, or used to, uh, for a number of reasons. Okay, so what are they? Typically, when you're when you're cooking a uh, a stock, you need a re- relatively large quantity of whatever you're going to flavor the stock with to to make, um, and you you need a relatively large quantity of water, right? And so this can be antith- antithetical to the meat tasting good and to how you're going to make your stuff, or you just simply might not have enough of your product around. So the classic one that we always did back at the FCI was uh, squab. You know, you want to make a very strong tasting squab, like uh, roast bones squab stock, but you you know you don't have that many squab bones. So what do you do? So what we would do then is ar- take an already made stock, pack a not that much you know not that high amount of it in into a bag and circulate it, and then you can extract that flavor out of the relatively small quantity of meat and bones that you have and get a really squabby kind of a stock. It would be difficult to do in a pot just because you don't have that many of them around, right? So that's mm-hmm. that's one kind of an, uh, an application. But the other thing is is that you you have the ability to do full wet cooking, like you know, like a, like a, a poach, but in a much smaller amount of liquid. So if you start with a cooking liquid that is uh, equal to uh, or higher in flavor than the meat that you're using, then you will not leach, uh, you know, huge amounts of flavor out of your meat. You might transfer, like they might equalize in flavor somehow, but you're not going to leach a huge amount of flavor out. If you add a bunch of water to the to the meat, then obviously you're going to be leaching some of the flavor out, but a lot of times that's okay because we kind of like the flavor of like a mild poached thing when it's kind of in a stock or if you're doing like a pot of feu or something like this. You're used to having the meat itself not be as flavorful because it's been leached out somewhat by the stock. But you can create a, uh, 
you know, because you're not using as much water, you can have it more intensely uh, flavored. However, you're not going to have that much reduction. So you have to take into account the fact that there's no reduction and decrease proportionally the amount of liquid that you're going to put in. The um, other thing is is that usually when you're in a bag at low temperature, uh, I mean, you can go very high temperature. You could boil it, in which case that's not the case. But at lower temperature, uh, even though you're going to extract flavors out as you cook in, in, a, in a broth, you're never going to get that shredded consistency that you would get from the higher temperatures because it just doesn't happen in, in the bag uh, at those low temperatures. Now, you could just put the bag in and boil it, which is what we would do – not boil it, but simmer it, which is what we would do for swab stocks because really we're trying to get maximum flavor extraction out. We're not trying to keep the meat uh, of that stock at a – at a kind of a nice eating texture, right? Because it's hard to get it kind of both ways there. Um, the other caveat I would add is any veg that you're going to put in, you got to pre-cook because unless you're going to do very high temps, uh, like traditional temps, in which case it'll all taste traditional, but if you're not going to do traditional temps, you're not going to cook the veg at the same temperature you're going to cook the meat. Is this being helpful at all or no? Yeah, no, I think, I think it's a matter of experimentation too because I, you know, I don't really have that much experience with the bag cooking. Period. Yeah, so I think it's just figuring out what works and, and what doesn't. I mean, I think that I don't have a pressure cooker, but I'm also been thinking that I should get one to combine the methods and make a really intense stock, and then combine it with meat cooked in bag, and then sort of combine them at the end, and maybe something you know. In, I, I imagine it could have a, you know more flavor, both elements than. And doing uh, just boiling in the, in the liquid, if that makes sense. Right, sure. Well, there's, I mean, well, okay, well, I'll break it down to you there in terms of kind of how to think when you're running your experiments. And once you start thinking in terms of what the bag does versus what your normal cooking does, it's, you know, it's, it's pretty, pretty simple. You got to break the bag down into two different components. You either A, use the bag, be, well, you A, use the bag because you want to cook low temperature, right? In which case, now you're talking about a temperature control phenomenon, right? And that's what you're aiming to work at. Or two, you're using the bag because you um, don't want to have to use a lot of liquid, and the bag is going to keep your liquid in contact with your product, right? So those are the two kind of reasons you, you would choose it. The third is you're not going to lose volatiles out of the bag, the way that you would lose when you're cooking, uh, and that's good for certain kinds of flavors that tend to change a lot because they uh, volatilize a as you cook. But you have to add to that the fact that there is no reduction in the bag. I mean, that's the primary, that's the primary thing that people fail to wrap their heads around. All other cooking techniques that aren't in the bag, even in some pressure cookers, although pressure, if you're used to pressure cookers, you'll notice that you get much less reduction in the pressure cooker. Even a venting pressure cooker, non-venting pressure cooker is almost like a bag in that you get almost no reduction. But that's very hard to kind of wrap your head around because when you're doing traditional cooking that's not sealed, right, you're used to at least getting – even if it doesn't look like it's reducing that much, remember as a meat cooks, it gives off juices. And as it gives off juices, those dilute the juices that are in the, in the bag, or in the pressure cooker, which is why... So, so do, you, do you think, let's just say if for an experiment, what if you just fill a pot with water, have a, you know, a chicken in it, cook it without the bag? Is it, you're not going to get enough gelatin extraction to make have the stock have a body, and you're also just cooking it too low of a temperature to get flavor into the water, as just you know, even removing it from the, the bag of the equation entirely. I'm curious if there's any value in that at all. Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, look... I, a lot depends. If you like, I used to do before I had the like, 
Jacques Pepin had a book that came out in the 80s that was kind of his two-volume set of how to cook the color one, not the black and white one. It was great. And he had a, uh, uh, a recipe for chicken salad that, uh, that was Danny Kaye's original recipe. Uh, you know, the composer and actor and, uh, and uh, conductor. Actually, I don't know if he was a composer, a conductor and actor. And uh, his old recipe for cooking the chicken was to load it into a pot, just barely cover it with water, bring it up to a simmer, and then cover it and let it ride, the same way that, you know, a lot of people do with, uh, in fact, the way I do it, with boiled eggs, when you're doing a lot of hard-boiled eggs. You know, bring it up to a simmer and let it ride, because it's not going to overcook that much as it cools down, but you're in that window of cooking temperature long enough that, yeah. And uh, I used to do that all the time, and I would always, you know, even if I was going to take out the breasts, hack them up, and pack them down, as long as your water-to-meat ratio is relatively low, the broth tastes pretty dang good. It's not going to have the gelatin extraction. It's never going to have the body that a fully cooked stock was, but it tastes quite delicious. Yeah. And so, so, so just, just to finish up, would, if you're doing it, going back to the bag with a minimum amount of liquid, do you want the liquid – what do you want to do with seasoning beforehand? Do you want the liquid fully seasoned beforehand and then salt the meat, or is that – is, is it different with, with a lot of liquid versus a minimal amount of liquid? Or is it, again, you have to experiment to figure out what and tastes right? I mean, you, you have to do some experimenting, but just know that, that when you put raw meat into a bag with a liquid, the quantity of liquid is going to increase drastically when you cook, right? And so in general... Um, you, I kind of have to over-reduce. It doesn't necessarily mean over-spice, but it just means kind of over-reduce. Um, and in, in, in general, like it's hard to say with the specific recipe you're going to use. In general, when you're putting something into a bag, vacuum sealing it in a bag, a rule of thumb is if the seasoning in question has an aroma – Right, then you decrease it, the amount that's going in. And if you have something that's no aroma, which really what we're talking about here is salt, right? then you keep the level the same because the bag tends to intensify flavors that um, are very high in aromatics. Think rosemary, think sage. And also like those herbs can, if they're in direct contact with uh, meat in a bag, um, actually imprint themselves and make a little kind of like green spot and kind of like a weird funky flavor right at the point of contact if there's a hard vacuum sucked against an herb without any sort of liquid in there so as a general rule of thumb I would uh, salt everything as per normal if the meat has the right amount of salt on it and even your hyper reduced stock has the right, right amount of salt in it as it's reduced then when they all come together they should be okay um and other things, you know, you decrease in order. Like I don't decrease pepper on the outside of my steak when I'm going to put it in the bag, but I do decrease things like rosemary. Mm-hmm. You know, but I think I think that's just super helpful. So I think have to have fewer variables before moving up to the bolito misto when there are going to be about ten variables. Yeah. Well, again, it's like another thing is remember. If you what I typically what you, what I'll do when I'm doing work in in the bag is there are certain things that I know I'm not going to eat that are only for like a, a stock 
right? And they're not going to be for the final service. And so those things I'll pressure cook and make a pre-pressure cook stock that's like done. And then that one you'll add, you'll reduce and add in as a base in your bag. And then you can get that nice kind of like poached flavor out with a much more intense flavor in the bag without overcooking the meat. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense because that's what, you know, some of these, you know, some of like turkey wings and veal bones and stuff like that that you're not going to serve anyway as a meat. Yeah, roast them and pressure cook them. You know, hack them up, roast them, pressure cook them. Remember when you're pressure cooking, you have to um, – one, one of two problems will happen. Uh, you either need to add a lot more uh, alliums, like things like onion or garlic, um, because the, the flavors of those things are very highly muted. So you need to add a, a bunch of it. The, the flip side of that is all of a sudden your stock becomes a lot sweeter. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. you can freshen it with a little bit of um, like sautéed whatever you like, you know, leeks shallots, onions, whatever you like. You know what I mean? But you can freshen it up after the pressure cook with that. Or, I mean, I've come to really like that kind of muted sweet flavor, but I just like easily double or triple the amount of onion that I would add to a normal stock when I'm doing it. But it does come out a bit sweeter is the one caveat I'll have to give you. Okay. Well, it looks like I'll have to invest in the pressure cooker. And oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. All uh, right. This is super helpful. I'll let you know how it goes. All right. Thanks for calling in. Okay. Uh, all right. So, so wait. Break. You want to take a, a break and come back with some more cooking issues? Mm-hmm. All right, Jack. Hey, wait, Dave. How what? do you uh, how do you pronounce pho? Oh, I'm terrible at that. I don't know that. I, it was I, a, you had a good one there. Yeah, I, I forget how you said it, but it was. Uh, I never yeah. heard it quite like that. Well, did I even mention Vietnamese? I thought soup? so. I don't know. Hmm. I think. No, I was probably saying something else, man. Oh no, pot à feu. Oh, French. Oh, yeah. Oh, my bad. Pot à feu. <laughs> we'll be right back. Special break song today by a band called Mamarazzi. This is Cooking Issues on Heritage Radio Network. White Oak Pastures is the only farm in the United States that has its own USDA-inspected red meat abattoir or slaughterhouse and its own USDA-inspected poultry abattoir or slaughterhouse. We partner with Whole Foods to deliver our high-quality meat and poultry from Miami, Florida, all the way to Princeton, New Jersey. One family, one farm, five generations, 145 years. A full circle return to sustainable land stewardship and humane animal stockmanship. For more information, please visit our website, whiteoakpastures.com. Okay, Jack. When did you change the background to that, to like porn Ribbian music? <laughs> did that just for you today? Yeah? Nice. Yeah. I like that. It's like, you know, he used to have like the, you know... Does he know that his like? He would not. Well, no, it's an ad. He, his ad is without music, so whatever the break song is, that's what we play underneath his ad. So you know, it's uh, you never know what you're going to get. Wow. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it spices it up, you know. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, we, by the way, we have a question that you're going to have to answer later that came in uh, that you know, hopefully, hopefully uh, we get to. 
Cool. Uh, here's an update from uh, Bryce JD on his rum tough. You remember we were talking about keeping fruits firm uh, as they're soaking in liquor over many months. So we have our uh, several month later um, update. I wanted to inform Dave of my results on dosing rum tough with NovoShape. NovoShape is the enzyme. It's a uh, pectin methylesterase enzyme that uh, helps fruits stay firm. Or anything with pectin, it really stays firm. Like you could use it with cucumbers, when you're doing pickles. But you know, you could do things like soak it, uh, soak. Uh, you need calcium with it, but you can soak uh, like raspberries with it and then boil the hell out of them, and nothing happens to them. Anyway, the fruit firmed up nicely. I started my batch in June and added fruit and rum throughout the summer. I was unable to use the fruit though, as it took on a nasty brown color. I'm looking at Stas's. Oh yeah, she. Uh, I saw her. Her lip just went. Meh. Nasty brown color lip because in her mind I think it's associated with fungus and spores and we all know how she feels about that. Uh, I strained out the solids and was left with a clear pinkish liqueur. The liqueur is quite nice, floral, fruity, and not overly sweet. I was wondering if Dave may know why the fruit turned brown. It would have been nice to have the fruit for a shortbread or ice cream topping. Could have baked it into something. Though. You could have blended that stuff up, right? And made yeah. some, right? Even if it's I maybe mean, we could have color cover up the color somehow. Right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's gone now. It's over now. Mm-hmm. Fruit's gone now. Uh, it would have been nice to have had the fruit for a shortbread or an ice cream topping. Also, was the liqueur clear because the Novo shape allowed the fruit to maintain its structure and na- not transfer solids into the liqueur? Uh, respectfully sent from my iPhone, Bryce JD. Well, I guess that's probably a good point. I hadn't thought about that before, but that's probably true. It didn't break down, so the liquor remained clear. Right? That makes sense. But as for the browning... Uh, what you're dealing with here is a um, a kind of long long term browning effect. You need to add some antioxidants to that sucker, right? So when you're doing it, you're going to either have to add uh, some ascorbic acid to it, right? Although remember that's going to lose its antioxidant potential over time. Uh, but I prefer it, you know. Like I don't like the sodium metabisulfates and all those things. But you're going to need to add some form of uh, antioxidant uh, to it, and that should inhibit the browning. Most likely, what you're looking at there is some form of uh, oxidative browning that takes course over a long period of time, even in, under the influence of uh, heavy alcohol. Whether it's enzymatic in nature, even though that those enzymes are like mostly denatured or, or destroyed by the um, um, by the booze or whether you're dealing with the fact that um, you know the enzyme is just catalyzing, some, uh, catalyzing something that would take place over a long period of time anyway, so you just need to prevent the oxidation from happening any way you know how. High booze, one way, and um, antioxidants, another way. And so I would definitely add some antioxidants to it next time and see whether that helps. But anyone that has experience with uh, that, I encourage them to uh, write in. Let us know. Okay? All right. Um, Joshua writes in about equipment. Greetings from Switzerland. Yeah, Stas had her happy face on. She, you know, she likes the Swiss. She, well, she doesn't like the Swiss. Like the Swiss. She likes the country, Switzerland, and she appreciates their fondue and their cheese. I see. It's a fondue thing. She loves fondue. Stas yeah. loves fondue. That I know. I was thinking of doing a fondue party next year for the kids. What do you think? That's good. I think they like it. Yeah, I did. Have chocolate and yeah. cheese. Chocolate, but, but I wanted to do also the boiling oil, old school. Mm. But, but Jim was like, meh. Boiling oil, old kids, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Remember, my ten-year-old just threw wasabi oil all over the house today. So you know, that was a knockback in that in that direction. This year was sushi. That was an expensive party to throw. The sushi party. Jesus. I bought the super fancy uh, rice too. Everything went full Jeez. on. Yeah. 
and man, those kids don't know how to roll. It's pretty hard, though. And then they want me to cut it right away, so like you know, I'm having to wipe my knife in between each cut because the grains are sticking to it. And so the kids just start eating it like it's a freaking tube, burrito. like it's a fruit roll. In fact, he said it's a burrito, and I told Dax, I was like, Dax. Who the hell taught you to make a burrito like this? It's like if you made a burrito in this fashion, I would be – I mean I said that I would I would become violently angry. He didn't fold the edges in. I mean it's not a burrito. It's like a taquito. It's, and a taquito is fried. You know what I mean? I was so like – I was so pretzeled by that whole thing. And then like you know you have to dip your hand in the vinegared water. But they're dipping their hand in the vinegared water and then touching the nori. I'm like ah! You know what I mean? Like, it's like ruining the crunchiness on the nori. And so why did I spend all the money on the good nori? Uh, I'm getting the nicest, darkest, densest, crunchiest nori, flaming it with a searsol to crisp it up. That's what happens when you throw a sushi party for kids. <laughs> well, they specifically asked for it. But I tell you what, Booker... <laughs> like, I thought Jen likes a fine pair sushi. Oh, God. Well, first of all, I'm not talking about that on, on air. Oh, by the way, if any of you ever meet Dax, don't mention that I talked about the uh, uh, wasabi oil because he's embarrassed by it. But... Jen, my wife, Jen and I used to laugh at Fine Fairs, our local supermarket, and we're like, I was like, did I tell, talk about this in the air already? I probably shouldn't. I'm going to get in trouble. Thanks, Stas. But now I, I have to tell people what listens. it is. No, but if someone's going to, uh, who knows? You never know? Anyway, so we're all like, hey, Fine Fair sushi. Who's going to eat Fine Fair sushi? That's ridiculous. You know what I mean? And lo and behold, one day she wasn't thinking. She buys the freaking Fine Fair sushi. And wow. I had to go pick her up. Like, she was like on the curb. She was on the curb, couldn't move anymore, and called me, and I had to go go get her because she just got debilitated by the by the sweet, sweet, sweet fine fair sushi. Just don't order don't order sushi from a, like uh, don't buy the the sitting out sushi at the at the supermarket. Don't do that, Jack. Do you do that? No. But listen, my wife is like a very not just educated, talented, but educated food wise. You know what I mean? So she knows it was crazy. So I don't want to hear anyone telling – I don't want to hear this story getting back there that you brought this up on the air because it's not anybody. not her proudest moment. It's right up there with me licking lie by mistake. Yeah, yeah, you remember that one. Anyway, how the hell did we get on that? Oh, Switzerland. Sushi. So sushi. Sushi party. No, Switzerland because next year I was saying we could do a fondue party because fondue is a good product. Mm-hmm. And the kids would enjoy that. It's not really make your own in the same way that pizza and sushi is though. Maybe it is. Whatever. Uh Okay, my question, this is Joshua from Switzerland. My question relates to kitchen equipment. I'm a proud owner of an immersion circulator and an even prouder owner of a PolyScience 300 chamber vacuum sealer, which currently doesn't work, but that's another story. Um, I would like to know what else I should get to experiment in my kitchen. I would like something that is versatile. I can't read what you actually wrote because it's a lot of little boxes and squares and doodles. Like, you know how that happens sometimes? Like this, see that? See, it's like all the boxes and doodles and... Squiggles like like Linus when he talks like Linus from Peanuts. You know they're having a new Peanuts movie coming out, oh, and they're God. changing well, whatever. I'm withholding judgment. I would like to have something that is versatile and which I can use to experiment with various foodstuffs. My first thought was a centrifuge. Okay, so listen, if your first thought is a centrifuge, I'm going to assume that you have like you know a decent. Well, I assume if you're Swiss, you have a Kuhn Recon pressure cooker, right? Because don't they That's give it? That's just Swiss German though, and I'm sure this guy's Swiss German. There's no Italian Swiss person. <laughs> well, I was saying, like, when you're born, maybe in Switzerland, they give you a Kuhn Recon pressure cooker the same way that when you're born in Sweden, they give you a copy of the ABBA album so that it can still be, like, a hugely selling album, right? Um, anyway, um, 
But first of all, it was a centrifuge. Would you agree on that, or would you look into something else? And if you agree on the centrifuge, what do you think about the Beckman Coulter Allegra series? Thanks for your help. Cheers, Joshua. Well, I think a centrifuge is fantastic. I love it. But, I mean, it all depends on how much cash you have. The Allegra costs – I mean, if you're going to spend 6000 6, bucks or 6,000 euros on the next piece of kitchen equipment and, and you're not blinking when you do that, then I think a centrifuge is a great thing to buy, right? Um because it's extremely versatile. You can do uh, a lot of di- different things with it. I looked briefly at the Beckman Coulter Allegra ones. Um, their spinning bucket rotors look like they re- only get up to about – there's a bunch of different series, so you have to look at what you get. Um, their swinging bucket ones look like they can do three liters, but they look like they only get to roughly 3,700 Gs somewhere in there, which is like on the verge of what I think is kind of good for that price range. Uh, most of the people that I know who uh, get new centrifuges for the restaurant or bar get Hedich, which is also available in, I think it's German, uh, and it's also available in Europe. Wiley Dufresne uses a Hedich. Um, and uh, Tony Canayaro in uh, London uses a head itch. And I think he also might have one in Paris at his, at his barber. I'm not sure. So I would look at the head itches. They have pretty good numbers and uh, they work well. But I looked at the Allegra. It should work. If you can get one, that'll, a swinging bucket that will do 4,000 Gs, then, you know, all the better. But um, it's a good question. Like if you're going to spend eight grand, there's a lot of stuff you could buy for eight grand, right? Like a couple extra circulators, which I would definitely buy. <laughs> or... Um, what else? I mean, a Paco Jet. I would love to have a Paco Jet. What do you buy first, Does? What do you think I would get first, a Paco Jet or a Centrifuge? Centrifuge. Probably. For me, though, but I do a lot of bar work. I mean, I think a lot of chefs would prefer a Paco Jet. I mean, if you look around, more there's more Paco Jets than there are Centrifuges around. Um, good coffee setup is another thing, but it's not necessarily versatile. You know what I mean? I mean, if you're, do a lot of bar, if you're not going to do a lot of bar work, I don't know that you're going to spend, like, that much time with your, with your Centrifuge. It's a good question, though. Anyway. Um... Derek writes in regarding ice. Hi, Dave. I follow the procedure for making clear ice in the freezer from Liquid Intelligence. That's the book. By pouring hot water into a cooler. I left it outside. uh, um, This is approximately – oh, outside, outside. 35 Fahrenheit. So you live in the northeast somewhere, north somewhere. For a few hours to cool down, then put it in the freezer. The next morning, I opened it uh, to add some stock cubes to an existing stash, and there were ice crystals all over the lid and walls of the freezer. If I were to fasten a piece of plastic wrap over the cooler the next time, would that prevent crystal formation in my freezer, or, or would it and or would it mess up the ice block formation? Thanks, Derek. Um, well, it might mess up the ice block formation. What I would say is put the plastic wrap over it. That will definitely stop uh, some of the you know steam and crap from coming up, and then just remove it right as the ice is starting to form. Uh, I w- don't leave it on. You're not, you, you definitely want to get rid of any insulating layer between the ice formation and uh, the ice formation front and the freezer as it's freezing. But <clears throat> I don't think it's going to hurt the ice block formation to have uh, plastic wrap over it in the initial couple of hours as it's cooling down. And that should greatly reduce the amount of crystallization you get all over the inside of your um, freezer. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, I mean, what I typically do is I throw um, I throw ice. I use hot water, put it right in, throw ice cubes in, and get it down to basically below room temperature. And as the ice cubes are melting out, and I just don't stir it, and I put it in, which is another thing. But you have to have clear, smaller ice cubes uh, sitting around for seeds, which is what, what, I, what I do. Not really seeds. Don't think of it as seeds. They're not seeds. Take back, that. Take back the word I said seeds. Okay. Look who's here. What? Who's here? Who's John- here? Johnny. Johnny Azzini? No. <laughs> Oh, from Madison. Johnny Hunter? Really? Come on in. 
Nice. Hi. We are joined in the studio now, unexpectedly, by Johnny Hunter from the uh, from the Underground Food Collective in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. How are yeah? you? So I just heard recently that you did a pop-up in the Brooklyn. Yeah, we uh, we did two days at uh, Fitzcarraldo. So. How was it? It was great. I have to say, we've done pop-ups in Manhattan, and the kitchen size is a little bit better in Brooklyn, we found out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would say that that's true. <laughs> the, the benefits were really nice. So, yeah, it was super fun. Um, friend runs the restaurant, so we just, I was like, I had to come out here anyway, so we, we always try to, like, line it up between doing events and also other things we have to come out for, so... So what, what did you what did, what did you make anything? It was mostly an exploration of like fermented turnips. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It's like for us, winter is like Wisconsin. So much of our food. So I think it's our. It's we we really try to go big time with like fresh flavors with winter vegetables. That was the whole thing. And then we had a bunch of beef that was we called it old beef. So we aged it out for about six months, and then we just served that raw. Um, what else do we do? By the way, how frozen up is Madtown right now? Is it's actually really nice. Really? It's like thirty five. It was there was like two weeks there where it was like negative twenty. But are people skating on the lakes yet or no? Yep. Uh. Yeah, that's the best part. Uh, the if you if you can be active, your life is much better there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean like uh, well maybe it's probably not smart to visit in the winter time for a non person from there, right? Uh I think the first two weeks of January generally have these days that are just like people just don't know how to deal with it. It's like, you know, you get in and it's like really cold and there are things you really need to be recognizing of like, you know, layering and just like having hats and good gloves and, and making sure that you're not, you know, you don't have your kids out in like the, <laughs> the, the, the harsh elements. But the thing is, is like people are just really industrious about it and like it's just a reality yeah, man, well, yeah, you know, us us wussies here from New York, you know, we look down on the people from the South who can't handle the cold, but we're like, you know, we're nothing. We're 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 jackwads to you guys. I'm glad you're here actually because I have a, a coffee, uh, not coffee, a centrifuge, uh, another centrifuge question in, and I would like to talk about your story, your okay. centrifuge yeah. story, if possible. Uh, okay, so we got a question in last week from Stephen uh, Hoppy from Chicago. <laughs> Uh, and he says, I contact, he, he wanted to know whether or not he should buy the centrifuge. And I said, meh, meh, mm-hmm. I think that's what I said, mm-hmm. roughly. Meh. What was, did it, was it because of the brand or because of whether or not he should get it? Uh, I couldn't see on the inside. There was a lot of, like, issues, and it didn't get to a high enough. There was a lot of issues. Anyway, I contacted the seller, and he said they don't have a rotor for the unit. Mm-hmm. Now, don't ever buy a used centrifuge without a rotor unless you have another one sitting next to it with a rotor, right? That's a parts fuge. You know? Yeah, I mean, our, uh, maybe I just explain our experience with centrifuges because we have the University of Wisconsin there. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so they, we get about we. I have like fifteen now. <laughs> <laughs> you should go into business selling these suckers. Uh, um, and so it's been this thing where you know I've learned a lot about how to take them apart and use them and stuff because it's just like it's like if something's not working, I was like, well, just grab it out of that one. Dude. We, we we haven't even plugged them all in yet, so you know. It's hard when I see people looking on eBay and asking a lot of questions. It's like, well, I got to go and inspect them and look at them and stuff. And so you do, you know. And I should say, I do like getting new rotors because we had that experience where the rotor broke. That's what I wanted you to kind of talk yeah. about. Johnny is the only like cook I know of 
that's had a real freaking failure, like a real freaking rotor failure. You want to describe this? Yeah. So we have um, oh, what's the brand now? It's uh, they had the square buckets that I can't remember, but it was it's not the the Jule or what? Uh, not the Juan. I think Juan. wasn't it like didn't Beckman Coulter? Beck, yep, yeah, Beckman. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we we had a Beckman and. It had a glass top, which was awesome. Oh yeah, I've used those before; they're awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and we, you know, we went through and we, you know, visually inspected everything, um, but we didn't. There, there, there's a there's a centrifuge company in town that will, you know, pressure test the steel oh, yeah. and stuff like that. We X-ray didn't do that. everything. Yeah. yeah. So we did that. We do that now. Anyway, so we had a bucket. <laughs> we had a bucket that that broke because it had a hairline fracture that we didn't know about. And uh, it threw the bucket into the wall of the centrifuge, which then moved the centrifuge three feet um, and, like, shook the building, which is just, like, a concrete floor. And everyone was just, like, someone was standing, you know, near it. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't have hurt anyone bad. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, not bad. I mean, like, you know, like, you know, broken yeah. leg maybe, but. It also happened, like, within the first week that we had it and uh so like the centrifuge was definitely a a scared thing around the kitchen so we've taken a lot more precautions now i'm glad you soldiered on he's like it wouldn't have hurt any worse than stepping in a bear trap that happens like every every other day anyway so but man yeah the building's not like some sort of puny flimsy building that you should be able to hear minor things through it's like it's an old bus station yeah well here's the good news though the good news is And I had been worried for a long time because it's the same class of centrifuge that, you know, a lot of us have, which is a three-liter benchtop fuge. Um, and they all roughly do about – they all – well, they hold roughly three liters, and they roughly do about 4,000 Gs. And I had never seen one fail, so it had always been my impression that no one would die. <laughs> and then when Johnny was like, hey, it happens, I was like, hey, did anybody die? And he's like, no. I'm like, Sweet. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah, it was uh, that Mark the Spark was the person sitting next to it. So. <laughs> uh, classic. Classic. Uh, all right. So uh, we had a uh, – this is more of a comment on uh, last week. Uh, remember we were talking about my uh, new coffee grinder thing that I was working on, Orphan Espresso. Mm-hmm. Remember I was talking about those guys? You know those guys, Orphan Espresso? Yeah. Do you know them personally? No, I just seen their products. Yeah, I, I really want one of the Pharaohs, but the guy they just don't care. They make them when they come in, and they sell out in like two seconds. Oh, you really? Get, yeah, the Lido too you can get, but um, anyway. So then, um, who was it? Joel Esposito, who has a really good grinder, wrote, wrote in this comment, which I thought was interesting. Um, I am a coffee espresso, uh, coffee slash espresso, so pour over slash espresso uh, enthusiast and just wanted to comment on the hand grinders mentioned in the last show. At the office, I grind my morning cup in a Malconig uh, EK43 with 98 millimeter burrs, one three quarter horsepower motor motor and photos attached. So that that happens to be a a very large but a flat burr grinder. Uh, And it's... uh, Super popular over the past couple of years. It was uh, not designed necessarily to be a coffee uh, grinder, but since I think about like 2013 or something, there's been like a cadre of people that have been using it for coffee. And um, the interesting thing about it is, um, um, you you know, for those of you that don't know or think about grinders, right? So every grinder, a lot of people like they split it into, well, is it flat or is it conical? But, you know, really even within those within those categories every grinder has its own kind of grind profile right and so like the people who really care about this what they do is is they take the grinds out of a coffee grinder or any kind of grinder and then they plot particle size uh 
the, the, the frequency of the distribution of particle sizes. And for most as good espresso grinders, you get what's called a bimodal plot, where you get some, uh, you know, a, a large peak that's centered uh, in the kind of general range where you want your uh, coffee particles to be, and then you get another peak lower in what's called the fines, and you get these kind of fine particles. And... Um, so there's a lot of debate as to what the kind of ultimate uh, grind profile is, but the truth also is is that uh, any grinder, the more you tune it down to be finer, right, the more bimodal the plot becomes because you get more fines out of something when you when you tune it down. So then the there's a lot of questions, and you can just go on the internet and look up particle distributions for different coffees, and you can see it. But the, this uh, the EK43 is renowned for making of like a good kind of grind ratio that can work with a lot of different kinds of coffee. It's more even, isn't it? That's what that's what they say. Yeah, there's fewer particles. There are fewer fines, I think. I got to go back and, and look at the thing. But you got to remember also. Uh, I mean, think about what a fine is doing. So if the fines are doing two separate things, right? A fine is, A, going to extract faster because it's fine, right? Yep. And, B, in um, things like uh, espresso, uh, fines migrate to the bottom of the puck and, like, cause higher hydraulic pressures so that, you know, you need a you need a coarser overall thing to make up for the fact that you have these fines because the fines are packing in between and causing – or in a filter, they can clog up filters, right? And so they can, they can change your flow rate as well as infuse differently. So, I mean, the, yeah. there's it's multimodal what's going on – again, multimodal with what's going on with – anyway, so that's just a little uh, – little preamble to Joel's uh, comment here. So here's what he said, which I think is really interesting. Uh, oh, let me get to it. Um, okay. At the office, I grind my morning cup in a Malconig EK43. Uh, at home, I grind in a small Hario hand grinder. Very small burrs. Uh, that's the little... little. Yeah, yeah. Which, by the way, I have it, but I just hate grinding it because it just takes so <laughs> damn long. I know. This it, it, is how I time like heating up my water. He's like, I try to beat it with the, <laughs> the grinder. Actually, I have, a, I have a burr grinder now, but... Oh, yeah? And I sit there, and like, you know how you get angry when you're turning that knob, and, <laughs> and, and, it, and you, you push it too hard, and the beans fly out of the hopper? And then the knob comes off and then the threads get stripped there. yeah i'm yeah. i'm familiar with all of those things yeah it's nice it's it works yeah yeah anyway uh so the uh the hand grinder very small burrs uh, the former is a beast powering through a cup's worth of coffee before i can hit the off button that must be nice uh <laughs> The particle size distribution is incredibly even, and the first uh, uh, cup I ground in it had practically no fines. I think he's talking about the Malconing again here. Okay? However, after breaking in the Malconing, I've noticed uh, a marked increase in fines production, which uh, seems to not only create muddy flavors in the cup, but somehow simultaneously masks the wonderful volatiles that I paid hard-earned money for in single-origin coffees at the local indie shop. It's not a huge issue for single cup pour-overs, but when you're brewing two to four cups, six ounces each, the pesky fines impede the flow of water and slow the extraction rate. Makes sense, right? I've done side-by-sides, actually back-to-back, seeing as I can only prepare one cup at a time uh, of the Hario unsieved versus... Oh, and then uh, he didn't mention this, but he he bought a uh, a Humble, which is a manufacturer, uh, a a 500-micron sieve. And so he's sitting there. Somehow this got confused in the in the in the email yeah. thing. But what he did was is he took his heart, his uh, his hand grinder and put it through a sieve to get rid of the fines. Yeah, so there's a guy in Madison who does that professionally. Well, he, he like he he works at shops and stuff, and he'll like sieve the coffee. What a bitch, huh? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, I mean, I, I love it. I appreciate it. Anyway, so. Um, 
So he did the, he did side by side of the Hario unsieved versus passed uh, through the uh, 500 micron sieve to eliminate the fines. Not only does the flow rate improve, which we would expect, uh, but he gets the same quality that he gets out of the 98 millimeter um, flat burrs on the uh, Malcone. He says it's equal cup quality. That's like a three thousand dollar grinder. Yeah, somewhere in there. <laughs> so so Two he's saying for like. A hundred, hundred bucks, or like I mean, the sieve would be like fifteen bucks to create. Yeah, like thirty maybe. Yeah, yeah. like so, if you buy it pre-made. Yeah, it's like thirty bucks. Yeah. So this is what he's saying. Uh, oh, by the way, he says he doesn't waste the fines. He simply adds them. And he said, actually, he says it's as good as the Malconi was, bef- like when it was brand new before it started creating the fines. Yeah, so it goes back to where he back to where it once belonged. So he said he doesn't waste the fines. I simply add them back to the rest of my coffee during the final phase of extraction. Or uh, run them through my Gaggia cra- uh, Classic, which surprisingly produced a drinkable uh, shot of espresso. Uh, this method still has a wider range of particle sizes, but all that matters to me is the perceived end result. Knowing that I may, uh, because remember, there's larger ones in there that you wouldn't get in the Malconic, like bigger yeah. ones. So therefore, he says, knowing that I may have failed to extract a few parts per million of solids from a couple of larger coffee chunks doesn't bother me. The bottom line is the $35 Hario plus a sieve produce a cup comparable to a 2K plus grinder. We, we used to use the Harios to grind pepper for our salami company, yeah. and we would take drills, take the top off, and just, like, grind the pepper through it. It was great. Yeah? Yeah. I, had to, I don't know that I've seen a lot of drill mods. You know, someone asked, okay, I, I, my Whirly Pop from my roaster, I put a motor mod on that yeah, with a small one. Someone asked me to post it. I'm going to probably go to Home Barista and I'll post it on something like that because I have, like, a you know a, um, an STL file to... Yeah. But... Uh, do a lot of people put drills onto the Harios or no? I'd never. I was just like grinding pepper one day. I was just like, Son of a bitch. Yeah. I have the Lido. The Lido two grinds. I mean, it's a, slower than you know my you know Ranchilio, but it's a lot faster than the Hario. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we um, we also use the drill for Cavatelli makers. Yeah. Oh, boop boop boop. Yeah. Yeah. You just nice. put a drill on the back, just. Another note on the Hario, by the way, is that uh, so there's a big um, there's a big thingamadoo, right? And they're going to kick us off. There's a big thingamadoo with uh, whether or not your burr should be suspended on both, like anchored on both sides, right? When you're doing a burr and a grinder, Uh, and so a lot of the people that have done kind of mods do one side mount only. The guys at Orphan Espresso. they're a believer in firmly mounting the burrs, yeah. right? Uh, and you know that's, I guess, one of the reasons they say that they get like good distribution on their well, stuff. I think it moves. I noticed that moves up and down, yeah, but not left and right, yeah, right. Oh, the Hario, you mean? Yeah, yeah the Hario moves around. Yeah, yeah. So if you mount it on the bottom, that would be great. Right. Well, he sells. So that's what was, the yeah. Orphan Espresso sells for fourteen bucks a uh, a plate that you can bolt into the bottom of your Hario that mount pins it on both sides that you then adjust and tack it down for 14 bucks and he's what he says in the in the thing in his explanation of it is that well if you do this it will no longer be good for espresso but it's good for coarser coffee i want to go back to the sieve why can't you just create a, a wider sieve to let the grinds go through that you want and then a thinner one and so then their middle packet you get you know completely consistent Oh, yeah, you totally could. Yeah, I mean, it seems like... You totally could, but you, you could choose exactly the range you want yeah. to pass. You could, I mean, if you're a real like, nutweed about it, you could just have it, like, you could get a small one and put it in one of those little... Blah, 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 you know those little... Yeah, 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 yeah. Blah, 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 <laughs> and then, like, just grind into the... Blah, 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 and just pull the middle guy out. Like, put a little, you know... 
And then you could make like another extraction with the fines and the large, and you know, compare it. But I don't know. The people say that that some difference in in grind size is good for flavor. It gets a little too flat at the same extraction. I don't know. I well, yeah. I mean, look, they're going to extract differently with bre- with brewing kinetics, right? It's yeah. all about the kinetics of it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to change. But I guarantee you, you could sell someone if you had like mega course. And then, like, the fines and then, like, the in-betweeners. You could definitely, like, especially if you did different brewing styles for each one of those three yeah, things, yeah. you could be like, well, la, 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 la. Well, you should just do, do this as an attachment to the sears all. <laughs> you say some you, little, you, you got a little mini sieber. <laughs> yeah. But I need to become an expert in kind of pour-overs because I yeah. don't know any, you know, I'm not, so... <laughs> But, we, but that would be, it'd be an interesting thing, right? Like, like take the same exact bean, grind, grind them at the same time, produce three entirely different cups of coffee with them. Yeah, with a you know forty dollar hand grinder. Yeah, and a, and a little wagon. Well, you know, I'm modifying modifying my Lido too, which is the Orphan Espresso hand, small hand yeah. grinder um, to be stationary. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, so because I hate unscrewing the glass because every time I unscrew the glass jar from it, so it's got a glass jar just like a Hario does, but it's very easy to screw up your uh, grind. Yeah. When you unscrew it, so I'm and I always break it. the jars. Really, yeah. I'm not going to use a jar anymore. Yeah, a jar. We get rid of it. It's all plastic now with a yeah. little cup. That's what I, that's what I'm doing. Uh, okay, so there. Uh, there's. Some, uh, we're not going. We don't have time. But I got some good uh, comments back, especially with like a, a, a li- on liquid intelligence. The book with someone who's got a um, a method to fake the Thai basil daiquiri if you don't have access to Thai basil, which is kind of cool. But we'll have to get to that. Who doesn't have, like, do they not have, like, an Asian grocery store? Yeah, they went to somebody's house or something like this. Yeah, okay. This has come up before for me before, um, but but actually, I want to mention these two Amazon, I have two favorite Amazon reviews that just came on. I got a three-star and a one-star, right, recently. The pa- one-star, I think, is, the three-star, I think, is worse than the one-star. They're they're both pretty bad, but why don't you, why don't you so read So the one-star is a great book for a chemist. For the layman mixologist, it is too much useless information. But that's one star? That's one star. It one minute, well, 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 requires chem too, too much degree. <laughs> that, Which is not true, dude. Let me tell you what. One star is I've given you incorrect information. This useless person could just open up to the one, like, th- four-page section where I just put, like, 50 classic cocktails in. With, like, how to make them and their specs in easy-to-look-at format. Rip it out and throw the rest of the book away, and it's worth more than one freaking star. But also, why uh, why is that a criticism? Like, why would you buy this book, you know, if you want, like, just easy cocktails? Like, you know, like it's like this book is for a specific audience, you know? If you were just to do, oh, here's 50 classics... Who cares? You yeah. Know, that book's been written. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyways, that's it. That's, that, that person... They need they need to get crushed. You know what I mean? But but here wait, here's the other one. The three star was this was a gift. I think it was liked, but I can't rate it since it was not for me. It was a gift. Three stars. If you can't rate it, you can't rate it. Don't so, rate it. So was the yeah. person giving it as a gift? Yeah, they gave it as a gift to someone and then else. They, and then they reviewed it negatively. They were they gave it three stars. They're like, I don't really know whether it was good or bad. I think the person they gave it to liked it, but I can't really rate it. So I'll just rate it in the middle because I don't know. It could be you know. Like, like, it was a woman. What does that have to do with it? A one-star review should be that the 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 author is like either grossly inaccurate, or if the book is horribly written, or they suggest something abhorrent, like chumming babies. You know what I mean? And like anything else, you're just a jerk. You know what I mean? Oh, people, people, I flagged. We we sold a lot of your books at our butcher shop. 
because people just buy stuff during the holidays. Oh, nice. <laughs> so I was a little worried. People are just like, we're just going to buy what's ever here. We have like two books there. And like they're like, okay, well, let's be good. <laughs> so a lot of people are like, hopefully there's a lot of people out there searching for their own home centrifuge systems now. Well, but remember, like in the book, I say – like I don't expect you to buy any of this crap. Yeah. You know what I mean? But uh, I'll give you ways around it. But why not tell you how we do it? Why not tell you yeah. how we do it? All right. So we're not going to get to Alex in Toronto's question, nor are we going to get to uh, Louis uh, Frederic Michaud. Hope I got your name right. He said good luck with pronouncing that one. <laughs> but, I'll, but the thing is, I would do it American style. It'd be like Louis Frederic Michaud. Right? That's how you do it American. Michaud. Probably is how it's uh, supposed to be pronounced. But on the way out, Jack, you're going to have to chime in on this one. And Johnny, you chime in too. Dave, Nastasia, and Jack's favorite bands, and Johnny's favorite bands. And P.S. Can we get Dave to do a Sir Mix-a-Lot style? I like big burrs, and I cannot lie. And I won't. I won't. Why not? You've done but it But you won't do that? Big bur- well, Or you won't lie? Oh, well, those other brothers can't you've, deny. You've done it before. <laughs> yeah, come on. I've, I've never done big yes, butts, have I? Yes. When? Done, I, like, I love big burrs. Really? Yes. Do it. Now, if I've already done it, we'll have to search the thing. So what do you got, Jack? What's your current favorite? What do you listen to? I answered him. This was my list. Uh, you can make fun of me if you'd like. So it was uh, Radiohead, Bjork, Outkast, Aphex Twin, The Flaming Lips. That's, oh, yeah? That's my list. Well, Stas saw Bjork at a party, and you know what Stas' comment was? Dirty tennis shoes. Yeah. She said, the lady is so rich. What's she doing with dirty tennis shoes? I don't like Dirty tennis shoes? I'm oh, wearing nice. the dirtiest tennis shoes right yeah, now. Yeah, but you're not Bjork. <laughs> yeah, you're not. You, you, it's true. You're I not did Bjork. get on the train today, and I saw someone's white shoes, and, and these are like three weeks old, and <laughs> they're white, and they're, now they're gray. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Well, I like the phenomenon of people that wear only white, and they get filthy, like, yeah. Filthy white? That's like Kareem Rashid, the famous designer, has got the filthy white going, which is kind of sweet. At least he used to. Okay, what do you got, Johnny? What do you got for us? Uh, Sonic Youth. Yeah? Yeah. Like old school Sonic Youth? Old school Sonic Youth. I like that. Nice. All right. Stas, what do you got? I don't know. Come on, just name some crap you like. Uh, or who uh, do you hate the most? Who do you love to hate? Yeah, and this is hate list. There you go. <laughs> no, when I was working out yesterday, I was listening to the Croce. Oh, Jim Croce? (laughs) (laughs) Stas likes anyone who crashes an airplane in the South and smashes. Is that true? (laughs) No. No? Like that little girl in Kentucky or whatever. Oh, man. The one who crawled. Mm -hmm. That was crazy. We talked about it on the show Mm -hmm. for some reason. Anyway, what do I like? Stas does like the Croce. So for those of you that don't know, Stas and I have a couple of internal running jokes that we do that we don't do on the air. So Jim Croce was uh, well known. Well, one of his famous songs was uh, yeah, "Operator," right? And then he's like talking to this operator, and he's like like chewing this freaking operator's ear off. So Stas and I are joking about like the hell's wrong with you? The operator doesn't give a crap. No, you know what I mean? No. And then like he at the end is like, "You can keep the dime." Well, of course she freaking can. She's it's chewing. Not her, it's a phone company's. Well, yeah, whatever. Right? It's not even hers. But yeah. the other one that we always do is the uh, what's that song called? I know it's. Oh, I just had to say I love you in a song, where it's like calls up this lady and he's like I know it's kind of late I hope I didn't wake him but he keeps on freaking talking and talking it's like 3am in the freaking morning he keeps on talking and talking and Stas and I are like the phone rings at 3am and you're like oh, who died who died <laughs> and he's like I know it's kind of late and you're like what the hell because <laughs> anytime like he called us he'd be like eh. That would be all we got. Anyway, <laughs> ne- I'll talk about my favorite bands next time. Oh, Coaching so, Issues! Come on, come on. <laughs> what, uh, well, what? I, I like so many different kinds of bands. Give them one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for country, I like Merle Haggard. Perfect. All right. Cooking Issues! <laughs> Thanks. 
Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 